Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio broadcasting across North America on Saga 960 AM in the Toronto area and on Big Togger Network. One half of your host, Dial Lasoski here, repping here from the mic, and I'm joined by David Clement, who's over there in Ontario. Uh, he's got some some dirty fingers. He's got some uh, some throw up on his shirt. He's living the daddy life. David, how goes it? Yes. Yeah, I am. I am. I think I've uh, changed about a trillion diapers at this point. So, yeah, life is good. Life is good. Um, obviously, uh, the the big news uh, story of this week is the passing of the Queen. Um, at the age of 96, she uh, passed away uh, at Balmoral. Yes. It will be weird, though. Uh, it will be weird to hear God Save the King instead of God Save the Queen as the anthem. However, how often do you hear the anthem? Because I heard it today at the gas station, <laughs> which is a oh, bit strange. Well, that's weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, sporting events is where I hear it. So, like, every time England plays, whether it be rugby or soccer or whatever, whenever the national team plays, you always hear it before the match. Um so that, for me, is, like, I hear it all the time. Well, not all the time, but regularly. Um, and so to hear God Save the King will be quite strange. Yeah, I think for uh, for Canadians and uh, other former subjects of the Empire, obviously, it's going to be a bit more important because she was the, uh, I guess, technically head of state. Or how? what's the phrasing? Because that's not technically correct. It's the governor general who's... The representative? Well, the governor general is the queen's representative. Okay. But, I I mean, I still think that technically she is the head of state. That's true. It's just she has someone acting on her behalf. Okay, yeah, and uh, I saw a tweet by um, former guest Justin Ling that's like, oh, no, um, does that mean all of the money is now worthless in Canada, you know, with her face on it? And then uh, <laughs> that's when I posted the astronaut meme of, of like, always has been. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good that's a well-placed meme I, I think that's a well-placed yeah meme. apparently he'd probably call me a conspiracy theorist for putting that up but um yeah very true uh yeah a lot, lot to get to with that um yeah i think this um for those of you who pay attention to media um you know the media is in the spotlight because it's their opportunity to trot out the obituaries that they inevitably did have stored you know this happens every every few years there's like one of these obituaries that gets out into the wild of like someone who's still alive yes <laughs> and um yeah but this one they were ready to go they had the articles they had the video archives uh there was all kinds of different things in in the uk and the us and canada everywhere they've got their stuff so uh everyone's trotting it out and they were well prepared for the moment yeah, and it's, I mean, it's so, it, the reactions, because, like, our network is pretty broad globally, the reactions are remarkably different, right? If you look at, like, American Twitter um, versus Canadian Twitter, obviously huge differences. Um, but then if you look at Irish Twitter, <laughs> uh, Irish Twitter is uh, not mourning, uh, to put it lightly. Um, so it's just wildly different Neither approaches. Is a colonialist Twitter, I guess. Yes, yeah. Although, I mean, that's a that's something that I, the critique of the Queen in regards to colonialism, uh, 
I mean, it was the most, it's the most rapid period of decolonization in the, the empire's history is under her reign in terms of countries who became independent, stepped away, etc. Um, so I always thought that that criticism of the queen specifically was, was always quite strange. Um, yeah, it's a, but, it's a bit weird. But um, we don't have to go too far, by the way. Also, uh, in Quebec, uh, yes, there, there has totally been different. some consternation about it. Obviously, uh, Francois Legault, who is the premier there, is um, sending his well wishes. Uh, but the uh, the separatist party, the Parti Québécois, has questioned uh, whether or not they need to be taken down any kind of uh, any kind of flags at half mast uh, because she does not represent us. Not my president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, different reaction for the separatists in Quebec. I can understand that. Um, I mean, the whole... Mo- I, I want to hear your take on this. The whole monarchy concept always leaves me, like, scratching my head. Because it's... I mean, I don't believe in any divine right of kings. So, I like, I disagree with the premise... Not that I think that she's like a particularly bad person, but the whole premise of the institution just seems like incredibly medieval to me. Um, just that like God picked a certain bloodline of people to rule and just by chance, because her uncle abdicated, the bloodline shifted and then sh- like, I don't know. It, that always struck me as very like strange. Um, and a lot of, I mean, I, I think it's, it would be a lot of, it would be quite strange for a lot of Canadians. I think when, as people are getting uh, polled on their thoughts on our connections to the monarchy, I think the number of people who are like, I don't even know why we bother is increasing. Um, I don't know. What's, you, what's your take on this? Well, you know, the my first ever recognition of the Queen or when I was introduced to her um, comes from obviously the most studious of sources ever, and that is the uh, the Mr. Bean television show. <laughs> Bean. Because <laughs> um, it did play on Radio-Canada uh, when I was young, and my dad would always watch that. And uh, there's one particular episode where he goes to Buckingham Palace and uh, meets the Queen, does all kinds of stuff, falls everywhere, you know, puts things in glasses. I, I don't even remember, <laughs> but it was always like, you know, this kind of goofy thing. Um, it is strange because, again, from the French-Canadian side, there has never really been this this fealty, this loyalty to the crown, to the monarchy, to what it represents. Most of the Quebec nationalists, of which, you know, are in my family, it's not necessarily a thing that you you look to or pray or you don't really have a picture up in your in your house. Um, my grandmother does, though. She's um, She just likes tradition. So she likes all that stuff, and she likes watching... She likes to watch the weddings and the, um, well, I guess now we'll see a coronation, but she likes to watch all that stuff on TV because it's cool. But I never really had any of that connection, you know, even moving back to Canada, you know, I was like, what, 18, 19 years old and seeing the queen on the money and, and hearing things in reference to the monarchy. And it was, it's always this kind of strange situation where you have been granted your freedom by an institution, but it's still there kind of but pretty legitimate, and I don't know. And obviously, they've done amazing PR work in the last, what, six, eight years with a lot of these shows? Oh, the yeah. Queen. Oh. 
So I think that has changed the perception of monarchy. And when I think of monarchy today, I don't really think of the, the British model. I think more of um, <laughs> Liechtenstein. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, that's a very different monarchy. <laughs> it's a very different monarchy, um, one that I like just because they ideologically think a lot like us. They're kind of like the consumer choice uh, monarchy. Uh, but they also have you know various territorial possessions across Austria. They have, um, I mean, they are actually private entrepreneurs and they they own like one of the biggest banks in the world and are some of the biggest hedge fund traders so it's a bit of a different uh, notion i think for the american reflex it's more just like hey we got rid of this stuff that we we're a republic we got rid of it um i wonder how it's going down in australia actually because there's a fairly big republican movement there yeah yeah um on Liechtenstein, if i remember correctly there was a moment in time where you, Yael Asaski, referred to in a conversation with his serene prince... Highness. Whatever. Highness. 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 Yeah. His serene highness. Did you not refer to him as bro or dude by accident in, in conversation? Well, it was in the informal um, to... Um, and yes, it was essentially bro. But um, that is cool. I have his book. Yes. Um, and actually, we, we were in the, the mountains uh, last weekend. And um, we were driving through Vorarlberg, Austria, which is right near the border of Switzerland. And wouldn't you know it, about 20 minutes away down the road is Liechtenstein. And I thought about going there because I do have His Serene Highness um, Hans Adams' book. It's called the, the, the Third, I think, the Third State in the, the New Millennium, something like this. And I wanted to get him to sign it. Um, I did not. I don't know if he's there. They've got various palaces around Europe and. Maybe he's in Vienna, or maybe he's hanging out in London. No idea. But yeah, I, I like... I started to warm to the idea of the whole monarchy real, realistically and listening to Anglo-conservative Canadians, how they would discuss the monarchy and how it actually is... It's all about the institution, and the institution is there to serve sort of as a protection for our rights and liberties and the Constitution, at least in Canada. You know, since 1982. One of, one, yeah, one of the, actually, one of the more convincing arguments uh, made by, and I'll give him a, sh a shout-out um, to Matt Bufton, because we would battle on this all the time. Uh, Matt Bufton from the Institute for Liberal Studies. Uh, I would basically be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, there's no divine right of kings, so this all seems very strange to me. Like, all of the the parades and the fanciness and the hoopla. And he's like, well... It's not that different than in the U.S. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, they have all the parades and the fanciness and the hooplas and all of that craziness just with the president. It's just different people. And in the, the, the constitutional monarchy system of the U.K., the argument is that it makes the politicians um, more people-like and less untouchable. Um, and it creates a better dynamic. It, you, you're going to have that like, um, that ooh and ah relationship between the citizens and someone, and it's probably better to have them have that type of relationship with someone who doesn't necessarily do much rather than someone who does everything. Um, that that is the the simplified version of like the consequentialist argument in support of 
the monarchy. I mean, Canada, I don't think, could ever get rid of it because it would require X amount of po the population to agree and the provinces and all of that jazz. But, um, yeah, that was the one, like, argument is that it there is a stability aspect of that um, in the long term, which I'm, I mean, I'm not opposed to. I just, the the whole premise of it grinds my gears. Yeah, it sure does. And, um, you know, while we might have pomp and circumstance in the U.S. and, and parades and everything else, um, that guy changes every couple of years. <laughs> so it's a bit, it's a bit different. Uh, but it is true, you know, to, to have power that's housed in an institution that, uh, you know, is kind of out of bounds is, is interesting. And I think I, they really did the nuance very well in the programs about the Queen. Um, I did not watch the most recent one that's about, um, what's her name, Elizabeth something, Hurley, who is like the new queen. Oh, yeah. The fash queen of, of <laughs> the UK. I haven't seen that one. Um, I welcome that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, a di it's a different kind of thing. And obviously in, in Austria here where they got rid of the monarchy, um, and that was a, a big deal. Uh, there's a lot of Stefan Zweig books that are all about that and what that kind of meant go? for Austria. And well, they were uh, they were banned. They were bandished. They were told to leave. And uh, many of the Habsburgs were born in Spain, in Germany, um, Hungary, Czech Republic. Um, it's really only in the last, let's say, thirty years that many of them started to come back. So, like, what do they do now? Uh, but yeah, they were. Well, everything. Um, one of them is an F2 driver, so he's a race car driver. Um, oh, okay, so they're actually, like, doing stuff. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they're, well, a lot of the wealth was seized, though they somehow got a back door, and they, they still have some riches and stuff, and I think they left with a lot. Uh, but a couple of them have been MEPs, or they've been uh, ministers in other countries, you know, the Czech Republic and Hungary, they've had okay, ministers. So they're out there working. Yeah, they're they're very active. Yeah, they're out there yes. working. They're not doing not what, a lazy uh, bunch. What the abdicated king did, which was not really do much and just want a pension from the royal family. <laughs> he just wanted a pension and just want to hang out with his American mistress and uh, go to the clubs and yeah, you know, do what I think all of us would want to do. Um, and we'll talk about that more <laughs> once we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. All right, David, we we're talking about um, mistresses. Uh, we're talking about f former kings, um, all the things here on Consumer Choice Radio. Yeah, speaking of mistresses, uh, Mr. Mistress himself oh, no. is now, I guess I have to say, our king. Um, king Charles III um, is now king um, and the head of state and the sovereign and will be, I guess, for sure on the money in the UK and then it's up to the Bank of Canada here in Canada if they want to repurpose bills like new bills that come into or no so it's up to Parliament so Trudeau gets to decide if the Bank of Canada switches the bill the new bills um, yeah um, I have a lot of feelings about uh, King Charles the third um, just a oh no this guy is uh, bad news bears bad news bears I mean I don't want to speak ill of our king, but 
he really is quite a detestable figure. Um, he he blurs the line. I mean, the thing with with Elizabeth was what she was credited for is that she did a very good job of not letting her opinions known on anything political, which is like the way it's supposed to be. I'm sure she had all sorts of opinions. I'm sure she had prime ministers whom she met with who she thought were just absolute idiots <laughs> or enacted policy that were really silly and dumb. Like, she's a human being. She definitely had opinions, but you never knew them. Whereas Charles has kind of taken on this climate warrior, anti-GMO activism, activist position, um, which beyond is one both incredibly hypocritical. Uh, I mean, you're talking a guy who's flown private his entire life, um, probably has the carbon footprint of uh, most small nations, um, lecturing people about climate change. but then also you have like the GMO side, organic food side of things, which is like only someone completely detached from the real life could honestly think that the world could feed itself on organic food. And we, I mean, we've had guests on the program talk about this, like the amount of land you would need um, in order to actually do that um, and feed the world. Um, you just really couldn't. And it just reeks of like, Okay, here you have this guy who's born into a the most privileged circumstance um, on the planet, whom is now lecturing ordinary people, the commoners, um, about the food they should be eating or how they should use less petrol, and it just all it, it just really strikes me as tone deaf. Um, and that's real. That's not supposed to be the role of the monarch. And I don't mean, maybe now he'll zip it up and he'll be a little less vocal. But I don't know. It's uh, you. You. You'd think. Boost. Yeah. You. Wow, David. Tell us what you really think. <laughs> well, it's just it's frustrating. It's uh, it's no different than like the, the climate activists like Al Gore flying private and having a huge carbon footprint and then telling the world that we're we have twelve years to live. It's like well. Do your part then, bud. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't think he's... I do like, though, that you are temporarily in the camp of the great resetters who very much opposed uh, Charles for similar reasons, but they go a bit further, um, that he is part of the international cabals. Um, by the way, one of my, more, my favorite uh, theories about this is that the queen actually died months ago, and... Uh, <laughs> They uh, have been photoshopping and doing all this kind of they stuff. They just photoshopped her um, in with Liz Truss. That's Trust. why, like once once they got, yeah, once got once they got Liz Truss in and they they got the body double to do the handshake. They're like, all right, guys, we can't keep this up anymore. Uh, we just gotta just flip on the switch. That's and the conspiracy. Uh, send out the bat signal. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty incredible. I, like I, will... I, I don't. It it doesn't change anything at no. all. By the way, no. <laughs> It is pretty incredible that, like, she was still working, like, two days ago, um, or two days before her passing, still, like, doing official duties in terms of asking uh, Liz Truss to form a government in her name. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What's, what's she- well, look, she kept above the fray the queen, right? So I think... 
that's probably going to be the more interesting conversation about this because realistically it does not change your life but what it does change is what's going to happen in the uk what's going to happen to that family because like what have we heard in the recent years right it's all been about Meghan markle and yeah uh, by the way the meme of the undertaker yeah, I saw that. that uh chokes the guy when it's the queen who's like choking down to Meghan markle um but you have Meghan markle and this whole thing with uh harry and i mean that's all been in the headlines and all they wanted was like a spotify and a netflix deal which i think they uh, much like the obamas abandoned spotify because joe rogan was on there yeah but then they came so, back way to go podcasting they, they came back yeah um, money's good yeah they, they came back to spotify i mean that whole side of thing also irritates me um, although I think the press in the UK has been pro- probably unfair to Meghan Markle, again, if she wants to make like social justice and um, discussions about privilege and oppression her thing, totally legitimate. There's lots of great conversations there. However, if you marry into the royal family and you're going to lecture people about privilege it's hard to really take it seriously. Um, you, you, you've yeah. joined the most prestigious, privileged family in the world whom have what they have and have the status of what they have, again, in my opinion, based on some archaic idea that God picked them. Um so again, it's one of those things where it's like, man, you're really you're really harping on this whole divine right thing. That really gets you. Well, it does. <laughs> yeah, it bothers it bothers me I, because I mean, if there is a god, I I don't think that they're picking bloodlines to on on who will be king. Um, I I just don't. Uh, she. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who who will be king or queen? Uh, but it but it was it was it was done so long ago, so it's fine. Because uh, believe me, the uh, all the humanity that we have today, if there was a divine right of kings, um, I would very much be afraid for who would be chosen. Oh boy, I know. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. But why the why the queen matters? Um, I heard the Ontario people, by the way, say that uh, because there was some law that was passed and granted royal assent. Uh, this is. Canada always has to do this, by the way. Every time there's some huge international thing, there's got a little nugget that happens a little, it happens a little, it has a little maple syrup on it or something. It's like, oh, well, this was probably the last act of governance that she did was giving royal decree to this Ontario bill. Yep. Yeah. There's always, that's like peak Canadian Uh, media is, is always trying to find an angle. It was like, it was the same when Kamala Harris was picked as the VP pick. And it was like, oh, well, she went to school in Montreal. So she's, like, kind of Canadian. Okay, that's the story? uh, Okay. Two years. I don't think so. Um, Yeah. So why it's important now, though, is we have the uh, conservative leadership election, which is wrapping up this weekend. And um, a new leader will be, forgive the pun, crowned. And uh, hopefully we'll change the direction of some of the Canadian federal politics, which I have not been too happy with. I think, David, you could say the same. And, and somehow this blundering uh, government continues on with no real opposition and uh, things are about to change. 
I think you have predicted early on that it's going to come square in the camp of Monsieur Poilievre. Yeah, I think um, I'm predicting a first ballot. Um, I'm predicting a first ballot win, uh, and there's absolutely zero chance it gets beyond a second ballot um, for Pierre. And, Interesting. And, and, there, I, and there really is no path for anybody else to win. Um, yeah. It's it's over. In, in it mind. depends if people are eating bugs or not, and then <sighs> switch their vote. Yeah. I guess, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So um, but this will be interesting if we were to have Pi Poiliev, if we were to have that change, if we were to have. Um, I mean, there's a couple other elections and things that are happening across across Canada as well. I mean, there's the U.S. will have the midterms, mm-hmm. and that's kind of up in the air depending on how much money Helicopter Joe can get out of the door. <laughs> yeah. But How much with what's happening can in Canada, we've got, yeah, that's true. We have Alberta, we've got Quebec, you know, this is all decided in early October, I believe, um, which could be very interesting. You could have center-right governments across the country, which would be amazing. Well, I mean, you pretty much have that already, with the exception of eh. BC. Um, yeah, I mean... So Alberta, conservative, um, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Ontario, conservative, Quebec. In name. Wow. Quebec. In name, not really. (laughs) Quebec, conservative, question mark. Um, And then I'm fairly certain that I know PEI is conservative, uh, Nova Scotia as well. Um, So I think maybe the only outliers. I actually don't. I have to look it up. Um, I think New Brunswick is too. Maybe it's Newfoundland who's the the outlier in terms of the provinces and so it's uh it's pretty blue um across the board um i i don't i don't even know about the territories i've heard none of it <laughs> how long have you been holding on to that pun <laughs> <laughs> just waiting on baby yeah. breath for weeks upon weeks upon weeks uh, uh yeah. yeah i mean look i'm i am sincerely concerned because i would love to again and i keep reiterating this i'd love to be able to go and visit and not be thrust into the bureaucratic nightmare that is covid operations which are still currently run at the federal level and are still laughable and apparently christiana freeland's gonna be the head of nato that's the um that's the rumor i mean if that's the case the rumor of the day if that's the case and she's gonna pivot to nato um Whatever. Okay. Um, she's probably more suited for that role than prime minister anyway. Um, but I think that would send a really worrying signal to liberal partisans that their kind of anointed one is saying no thanks. Um, that would probably send a real clear. Yeah, because she knows it's liberal territory for the next few years is bad. And yeah, um, I guess the guy waiting in the wings. To uh, to come up as a central banker, yeah, uh, Mark Carney with a little bit of UK experience. Actually, he could be. Um, he could say, "Hey, I'm I know the Queen." Yeah, I I feel <laughs> I knew I her feel like before she passed months ago. If Pierre wins, uh, when Pierre wins, if they were to put up a central banker against Pierre, it would be a bloodbath because he's been on the warpath in terms of the Bank of Canada and. Um, and and whether or not they inflated the money supply and that how that in, impacted inflation 
it would just be a softball um, to the conservatives if they picked Mark Carney. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that that's the route they want to go. But everybody always talks about it. Every like, every six months, there's a there's an article. It's like, ooh, Mark Carney, maybe Mark Carney. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I guess that the Ottawa, um, you know, nice little elite fundraisers and cocktail parties, that's what they're trying to tell themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see anyone else in the country. Like, I that, mean, but is he really the yeah. guy who... Times are changing. Is he really the guy who's going to save the liberals um, in the next election and hold government? Probably not. Uh, I don't think so. Um, no, of course yeah. not. No chance. Uh, they need to be put in the corner for, you know, at least a, a cycle or two and, uh, you know, let some good economic policies and get that energy out of the door. Oh, God, I know. I mean... It, well, what we need is... And I, again, I'm... All the energy stuff that is hitting Europe is going to start hitting very hard in the next couple of weeks and months, more so when it starts to get colder. And the pressure on Canada and Trudeau... I don't know. Maybe all the pressure just goes to his socks because apparently he still hasn't budged. And I, I don't know what to say about my birth country <laughs> if we have all these amazing resources and can't get them out of the ground and can't get them to market. I know. I mean, it's wild. Um, and they're asking. Like the German chancellor was like, yes, we would love that. That would be great. Please send. <laughs> and they're still waffling. It's like, guys, we have it. They want it. Let's give it to them. But we'll have more on that uh, after the break. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. Um, Yael, before the break, we were talking about energy, Canadian energy. Um, I'd love to see whomever the next prime minister is come into office and uh, and pull a Liz Truss and just be like, nope, we're sending it all to market. Let's go, because <laughs> I think it was like twelve hours in. She was like, no, nope, we're gonna frack again. Uh, let's get some natural gas moving. Um, that's the type of like attitude I think is necessary, not just economically, um, in terms of Canada's economy and and like pulling it out of the ashes because um, a lot of this <clears throat> one of the things that a lot of liberal partisans would be like oh well we've recovered so many jobs and job growth has been good in canada and um <laughs> job growth has been good and then uh someone released the figures and it's like oh yeah but 90 percent of those jobs have been in government it's like oh okay so it's not private job growth so it's just job growth off of taxpayers money um that is not economic growth this is not good um and so unleashing some of that to uh yeah to get the engine moving again you know get the jumper cables out uh yeah spark things and and yeah let's do it let's get let's get back to fracking uh fracking <laughs> sorry i hit the button there if we can get back to fracking also in the states this would be great canada could restart because quebec has essentially had all of their facilities on pause and quebec especially for the gauss de schist 
for the, uh, the sort of fracking oil. I mean, the natural gas that they're able to get out of there would be amazing. It would make Quebec like a powerhouse, and they could have all the welfare they want, which is yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, I mean, <laughs> I've always said this. You, you, like, have whatever size government you want, but just be able to pay for it. And in order to be able to pay for it, you have to have the private sector making money. Um, otherwise, you're just... Yeah, and, and then you can become the Norway-type democracy. Um, that's what one of my professors used to say. He's like, well, we have in Canada is a Nordic democracy. I'm like, okay, no, well... No, we do not. We're not using all of that energy, bud. <laughs> no, so, we do not. Yeah, the, so that is a big deal. Love to see it in the UK, of course, with the Queen uh, passing. That is a big change in terms of... Uh, it takes away from a little bit of the narrative of the new Liz Truss regime that's coming in. Um, again, a lot of the rhetoric I really like, a lot of the ideas I really like. David, I know you've been commenting that as well. She um, seems but the solid. Energy, but the energy freeze, I don't like this. What is that? Oh, is that capping? Capping. Bills, and capping yeah. is going to be the new... I mean, it's exactly what they're doing here that's what they're doing in germany and austria um now they're doing it in the uk it's probably going to be europe wide they're going to be capping energy prices which as we know will just increase scarcity and make it much harder and then we just where's all the supply of this energy supposedly coming from and it's going to get even more expensive because all these european countries will still continue buying natural gas and energy but they'll be doing it through the middlemen you know indians or chinese instead of the russians and this is not going to be good for disposable incomes, households, uh, energy bills. Yeah, sure, you'll get a cap for a bit, but chickens are going to come home to roost at some point. Well, yeah, I mean, and scare the problem, the scarcity problem. Look at what's happening in California right now, where like you got rolling brownouts again. There's a f hilarious image, and it was a guy powering up a a gener a, a diesel generator to charge his tesla in california because the grid was was overworked and they had rolling brownouts and he couldn't charge his tesla so there he is just burning diesel um to get a good charge on his car um and i mean that's scarcity for i love you. that yeah <laughs> and I, I i mean i think we even have to go back to the basics because we've talked about battery cars before the evs and the batteries are just a storage, you know, box, essentially. But where does that electricity come from? It has to be generated somehow. So it's either it's hydro or it's coal or, you know, whatever. I was asked that and months ago. I think ago. that's always been forgotten, this whole thing. Yeah, I was asked that months ago. Um, well, it's like, well, is it always better for, better for the environment? I said, well, it really depends on where you're charging it. Um, because... Like if you're in Kentucky and you're plugging in your car and that's connected to coal plants, that's not necessarily a net benefit. Um, if you're somewhere where the grid is renewable slash nuclear uh, as a significant portion of the energy supply, well, then that's probably good. Um, but it all depends. Depends on where you live um, and where the energy comes from. I've been paying a lot of attention. Um... Again, we're back to talking to Twitter. There's a lot of great Twitter spaces that have completely taken the place of Clubhouse. Yes. 
And the spaces are amazing because, you know, people can just, you know, within a moment's notice, hop on, start talking about stuff. And you hear from people you normally wouldn't hear from. So you hear from, you know, analysts who write about this stuff or who think about it or have private clients and they're in the energy business, for instance. And to hear their thoughts about how stuff is being done and what's kind of work behind the scenes and the prices and how the markets are working. Like, I just get way more context and understanding from listening to like 10, 15 minutes of these guys than I do reading, you know, New York Times, Washington Post all day, um, where I can hear about some woke kindergarten teacher or something like that. But, <laughs> you know, for the actual quintessential questions of our energy economy, I can I hear more on Twitter spaces, which is crazy. But the things that are going to be happening at the international level and with the money and the energy supplies being dried up, not being supplied with more aggression that's happening, you know, from Russia and Ukraine, Ukraine actually having some victories here lately. And there's just a lot of stuff that's out there. It's complicated. And that's why prices are necessary because prices are signals. And if we start capping and uh, limiting prices on things we're not going to know the value of stuff anymore and then we're just going to you know let our supply dwindle we're not going to have anything new i'm very worried about that and i think we know the it, consequence of rationing yes and we've all hear the we all heard the stories of world war ii you know you got your butter ration your butter <sighs> token you know you got your yeah. one bar of butter per month or something like this or your your whatever your pound of flour per month uh, we, we don't want to go back to that scenario with energy. And I've been to South Africa, by the way, where they have this load shedding like they're doing in California right now, where you're sitting at a restaurant and randomly at 2.30 p.m. the power goes out. They switch on the generators or they, you know, turn turn on the gas and they say, oh, yeah, that's just the you know blackouts. That was different, though. That, well, that was not because of a lack of energy. That was actually a um, like sort of a subsidiary program to where South Africa which generates like 60% of the continent's energy was exporting to all the other countries. So the South Africans would sort of have less power so that their neighbors could have more. Um, and in the U.S., we just have very incompetent uh, electricity managers, it seems. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I... Very telling to have a guy, a guy like Gavin Newsom come on TV telling you to turn off the top the coffee pot at 5 p.m. You know, while he's yeah. sitting there in his mansion or eating at the French Laundry, sipping his wine. It's like, okay, bud. That's very, very King Charles of him. <laughs> very King Charles. Of him. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I used to play a clip a long time ago. I don't know if I played it ever on this show, but there was a clip of um, now King Charles the Third where he was talking to, to the conspiracy theorist guys, and he, he would was. be like. The idea that there's some secret society uh, that's operating behind the scenes to somehow uh, disintegrate or reduce global population is just uh, asinine. <laughs> like said in the most elite way. That was like, a pretty oh, good, someone that was, better that was a make pretty good case. impression. That was a pretty good impression. You might have to take that show on the road. Yeah. Might have to. Um got to make sure my battery car is plugged up to make it to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And I can get through the channel. Uh, yeah, so other big uh, big news of the week. Um, we've get, we had a couple of tech things that happened in the U.S. Uh, thankfully, a tech bill died on the floor of the Senate. Uh, this was the uh, Journalism Protection Act, one of these things that was put forth by 
Senator Amy Klobuchar. Um, this was very difficult to write about in media, David, uh, similar to reasons that you faced when you, this was brought up in Canada. Yes. Um, essentially, what this does is, at least the U.S. version, allows a kind of cartel to rise up of the online publishers and newspapers to where they can try to negotiate with Google and Facebook for placement of their content, and it removes any antitrust um, inquiries about that, which is crazy because they're seeking antitrust stuff on the other side, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard because a lot of the industries where we're writing these words are kind of dependent on this and wouldn't mind getting a couple bucks out of Facebook and Google. Yeah, it's the only so, time I've had something yeah, that was hard to write about. The only time I've like had a hard rejection on a on a piece was saying that these media companies shouldn't get money from Facebook. Uh, I mean, the whole system is a, is the idea is such a fraud. So, like, if I post one of my National Post opinion pieces to Facebook and people click on it and to read it and to go view it. Well, the newspaper benefits because I've generated free leads for them, free views, so ad revenue, and then possibly leads for subscriptions. And these pieces of legislation say, well, Facebook should pay the news company as well. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, and you're also you're also offering free content, which is a whole other thing. Sure, but it's <laughs> it's it's just a completely backwards. Um, scenario i mean if if there's any obligation to pay it's the other way um because how what's the like what what would any of these news outlets be without social media they would all be broke they would have no medium to spread um to spread the news at all um they're so heavily reliant on the exposure that comes from social media in terms of ad revenue and generating leads for subscriptions um and so the idea that Facebook or Twitter should then pay um, pay a news outlet, the Washington Post, um, because people use Twitter to share the link, it just seems so incredibly backwards. And this is another circumstance where the target, obviously the politicians do this, but the target is always perceived as being a mountain of cash. And as long as we can get a small sliver of that cash, all problems are solved. Incentives don't matter. Structures don't matter. Uh, you know, it's like as if we can kill Craigslist, you know, we can get the newspapers back going because people want their classifieds in the paper. <laughs> well, there's a whole shift that has to happen. And it is happening, by the way. You know, there's Substack stuff. We've talked about that on the program before. I know I subscribe to a good number of them. I pay money to them. There's a lot of great journalists both in the US and Canada who are doing that and are kind of creating things you know is it original reporting like you would have at your typical metro papers no but you still have those sources and there's competition and um look the New York Times and Washington Post aren't suffering like they're doing pretty well and have done done so consciously because they became the quote opposition during the Trump era you know that was part of their marketing and they saw digital subscriptions go through the roof, and then you have all this money that came in. So there are ways to innovate in media, but the last way that you want to innovate is having some bill written in the Capitol enforced by politicians that will favor you. Because realistically, uh, with all of the power of Rupert Murdoch, who owns many papers, by the way, 
uh, he could end up just getting a big old bailout. And um, essentially what you're doing is taking the former owner of MySpace and enriching him with the money from Facebook and Google, guys. Is that what you're looking for? Is that what you want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. So, yeah, that is... Uh, fortunately, that bill died. Um, Senator Ted Cruz, who is a sometimes ally of consumer choice, um, raised some concerns about content moderation. Um, so that did get killed, which is a small, small victory that we have for consumer choice this week. Um, but I know, David, there's going to be a couple more. It's already looking to be a very, very busy month. There's going to be a couple more bills, a lot of other things, and all kind of recovery programs. I'll report on the uh, 500 euros uh, that I'm apparently supposed to get from the Austrian government uh, as my climate bonus for energy Ooh, bills. Um, everyone's going to be getting hands out. So Nice. Yeah, well, all the handouts are coming, folks. So Don't, um, don't spend it all in Bitcoin one place. Yeah, indeed. We'll see what happens. All right, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much for tuning in. ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. See you next week.